Hello, and welcome to another episode of Faith and Honor. I'm Father Bart Gingrich. If you like the show, we always always appreciate shares and thumbs ups and five star reviews. And if you want to support us on Patreon and subscribe star, that's also an option. Today we have a really neat episode. We're going to talk about uh, matters regarding England. And joining me is Father Brett Murphy. Brett, how are you? I'm very well, brother. I've never felt better in years. Oh, there you go. Uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm Father Brett. Uh, I was born and raised in Australia uh, in a Roman Catholic family. Uh, had a crisis of faith around 18, had a nervous breakdown, developed an anxiety disorder, went way off the rails, resented God, um, almost hated God for allowing that to happen to me, and then by his incredible grace was reeled back in to saving faith in an Anglican context when I was in my mid-20s, about the same time my wife was saved. And God just, well, I was actually called to be a priest when I was eight, and God reactivated that in my mid-20s. And the rest was just a roller coaster adventure of going where God tells us to go. And currently, where are you geographically? Where are you serving? You are a presbyter. Tell us some about that. Yeah, so presently, I'm a presbyter, presbyter who's revitalizing a Free Church of England parish in Morecambe, which is in the northwestern coast of England. It looks gorgeous. I see some of your photos, and it's just <laughs> one of those things where God's like, I'm going to show off a little. <laughs> and I couldn't help just a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you haven't always been there. In fact, this is a very, fairly recent uh, uh, position for you because before this, uh, you were in the Church of England and you mm-hmm. are no longer. And that's why I kind of brought you on the show. I want to hear your story and hear your perspective on what's going on because you were serving there, working hard, putting in the putting in the hours, as they may say, Um, and then you've made this decision, you've made this change, and it could be risky and costly and all sorts of other things. You have a family and so forth to take care of. I I can certainly relate to those pressures, um, you know, thinking in terms of big life decisions. Mm. What happened? Yeah, so we were called to the UK from Australia in 2019. And it was not something we ever thought we'd do, to be honest. It was, it came out of the blue. I was finishing my curacy. We'd had um, a lovely curacy on the coast in Australia and beautiful surf beaches. And um, I was open to going anywhere in Australia to serve the Lord, so long as it was an Orthodox bishop. Uh, and my wife, Kat, and I were praying. And the Lord laid on her heart first, uh, you've got to go to England. And she sort of sat on that. She was like, oh, I'm, I'm I don't know about that, Jesus. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. That's crazy. And I'm not gonna tell Brett that. And the God just hounded her. And then eventually she told me and God moved in my heart and all the doors just opened and other doors closed. Um and eventually even the providence was purely miraculous to even have the resources to get to the UK. And so we moved over um to originally a three-year post in the Diocese of Carlisle, which is about as far north in England as you can get, borders with Scotland. Our parish was actually five-minute drive to Scotland, um, and we got the shock of our life. So coming from Australia, the Aussie Anglican Church, it has its issues. You know, there is now a GAFCON branch there in the Diocese of the Southern Cross, but we sort of look up to, uh, a lot of Aussie Anglicans looked up to the Church of England as the mother church, and we thought, you know, in general, it would be, you know, pretty healthy, sound church. You know, you kind of your mind goes back to the great missionaries of old planting out of good old England, and it was absolutely not like that. It's in a complete mess uh, theologically, uh, ecclesiologically. It's just a train wreck all around. So, adjusting to that was really, really difficult. Um, and then at the end of those three years, uh, part of the the big issue in the C of E is terminal decline absolutely eternal climate and how they manage that. And they really just have management strategies. They don't have actual solutions. So uh, there was the idea that our church and other churches would be sort of merged together. So we we didn't want to do that. Um, So we sought, you know, one church, one pastor parish and found one down in Leicestershire in 
um, the Midlands, and we were there for nearly two years uh, until we saw the tide turning at the General Synod, um, where even before it, I mean, I, I'm going to confess something to you, brother. I, <laughs> I was very naive. I never thought that all this same-sex blessing stuff would actually get through. I didn't think it would pass. I didn't think it would happen. And when I started to realize, oh, boy, it's really real, uh, that was my big red line. Um, I could live with things like women's ordination as long as it didn't come into my parish, uh, but I couldn't live with a whole denomination becoming apostate. And then once I figured that out, man, the scales fell off my eyes fast. Yeah, there's often – it's that's – that red line issue for you was actually the tip of an iceberg that when mm. you acknowledge it's like, this has gone way off the rails, you start seeing the the actual mass that's under the surface. Like the, mm -hmm. the, the majority of the iceberg isn't what's visible jutting out. It's mm. what's under it. What we've talked about this, I think, on our podcast before with other folks and amongst ourselves. But what are some of those things that are under the surface that led to that big issue, you know, sticking out ugly. Because the big issue is so powerful because it taps into our cultural moment right now. You might mm -hmm. even call it madness. Right? There's this yep. kind of really angry revolt against God expressed in this particular way. Yeah. But what's under there? What's under that surface that's fueling it? Oh my gosh, it is like a, a witch's cauldron. It's a brew of evil. Um, I touched on it a little earlier in my intro there. I think the significant turning point for the C of E was the ordination of women as presbyters. Uh, the moment they moved past uh, the diaconate, it, it started to decline. And I've talked to um, elder statesmen who I love and respect, really godly priests and bishops who many of whom stayed, but some of whom left, you know, 20, 30 years ago when this was happening. And they say, well, they promised us it would save the C of E. So the tagline was, oh, there's decline. There's not enough vicars to go around. We're running out of rectors. What are we going to do? Uh, if we allow women to be clergy, you don't have to accept it. But if people are willing, it'll, it'll fill churches. Well, here we are 30 years later, and the decline went off a cliff, and then the moral decline followed with it. Um, and it's it's not just that issue. There are other things as well. There is a lot of what I would call it cultural Marxism in the C of E, which uh, you know has a, a fundamentally uh, anti-biblical worldview. So it is sort of like Christianity masquerading. Really, it's something else masquerading as Christianity. There's a thin veneer, a sort of neat upper middle class, posh British Christianity. But beneath that is uh, a lot of forces that, well, I think, you know, it's, it's powers and principalities kind of stuff. And that's right. the iceberg. And, and once you, you, you nailed it, brother, once, once I, I saw my red line, then the scales fell from my eyes and I realized this whole apple is rotten from the core out. Right. This thing's done. Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Maybe it depends on the layman, but somebody's in the pew um, or the chair, whatever it would be, um, may or may not care about the authority and trustworthiness of the Bible. They may not have a strong opinion on the exclusive exclusivity of of Christ for salvation, like Christ is the mm -hmm. only way to be saved. That there is a need to be saved. That sin is an existential problem that yeah. we cannot solve, God has to intervene uh, through Christ um, and taking on human flesh. All these things that are actually fundamental aspects of the Christian message and always have been may come optional. Mm, they do, completely They become, optional. it's like, well, there's also more players here that we should welcome to the table and then all yeah, of a sudden because we don't want to be offensive do we you know we, we, don't, we want don't want to upset be offensive. anyone well except god god we can accept, <laughs> we, we but, can um, offend him which is actually the main problem i would say is is it's when it starts within the church it's uh we don't we don't fear god anymore mm -hmm. i agree yeah it I, leads to a complete lack of the fear of god and then that that uh 
that cascades down to a lack of holiness in the, mm. the clergy and in the people. They yeah. just don't care what they don't care what God thinks, mm-hmm. and then they don't they don't see His Word as inerrant or infallible or re- inspired, so it's not trustworthy, and therefore they can reinterpret it, and then literally anything goes. Yeah, the, God is God, and the Bible is a varnish to the things that I actually care about, which really don't have anything to do with them or what He said. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and they'll make little idols and they'll call them Jesus mm-hmm. in their mind. But it's not actually Jesus, <laughs> right? Oh man, yeah. you're. I mean, this is this is not just a English problem, right? It's this is a mm-hmm. uh, uh, a human problem that has become very acute in in what we might call the West. Um, exactly, because yeah. we have the same here problem here. The other thing that's interesting here is when you say we need to welcome these other folks at the table, make space for them, make room, right? We can't even think about women's ordination, right? I mean, this isn't a fundamental gospel issue. It's not in the mm. creeds. It wasn't part don't of the Reformation. Don't be divisive. Let them at the table. And then all of a sudden you find these people or maybe successors or other people brought in. The Overton window expands. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly mm-hmm. who's calling who the shots with who's at the table? Yeah. Yep. And then all of a sudden the people that used to have the table are now on the fringes of it. And then they're getting pushed out, and yes, yeah. and and it's a shock to them. They're they're like, oh, uh-oh. yeah, this was ours, and then somebody yeah. now says this is ours, not yours mm-hmm. anymore. This can happen with whole nations, with kind of with things. We're seeing some tensions there, I think, on both sides of the Atlantic. It's like, but yes, this was our country, true. right? But that changes. I mean, the the kingdoms of men rise and fall. That one, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that happens. But in the church, when it's orthodoxy. You know, when it's the doctrine confessed, regardless of your background, mm. regardless of whatever ism you had to overcome, regardless of what your family life was like, whatever language is your first language and all this sort of thing, um, then that's that's different. You know, that is extremely high priority because this is eternity we're talking about. Precisely. And what I'm talking about with the what I'm talking about is Newhouse's law. I don't know if you know Father Newhouse here in the States, but wherever right. orthodoxy becomes optional, it will sooner or later be proscribed. Yes. And yeah. and as this sounds like kind of what you experienced firsthand, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, in England. I, I, I kind of want to hear more of your story, if that's how that played out, or, you know, you kind of hopped in the middle of this process. You're like, oh, gosh, what happened? Is that You're fairly young. You know, how old are you? 37. 37, yeah. So, I mean, that's not young, young, but it's not old, right? Yeah. You you hop into a situation. <laughs> not yet. And you're like, how did this happen? Because this isn't like what I read in a history book or even, you know, what I experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you when you finally, when it's time for you to take on the yoke, right? Mm-hmm. The priestly yoke to take care mm-hmm. of things. What is it? What's it? What's that look like? What is it like for you? I right? likened it. Yeah, I, I likened the the when so the big moment that everything led up to was General Synod passing the acceptance of same sex blessings, and I likened it to like I, uh, it was like grief. It was like someone I knew had died, um, and and so many other Orthodox clergymen expressed the same sentiment. There was shock horror, sadness, lament. And in the mix of leading up to all that, seeing it coming, that was when God called me to take on that yoke. He was like, okay, uh, in prayer, saying the daily office, I had this impression on my heart, you must reactivate your YouTube channel. So like for contents, I used to make uh, YouTube videos when I was an unbeliever a long time ago. Uh, There was nothing bad in them. They were just stupid things. And uh, so I deleted all of them. And then uh, I would occasionally drop a sermon or two on my channel and, you know, just for the sake of it or maybe if people couldn't come to church that day. But I was never dedicated to it. And then God was really impressed on me. You must start producing content. You must speak out against this. Uh, you must be that, that voice of biblical orthodoxy. And I knew what I was getting into. I knew that it was not going to end pretty. And I knew that people would come for me uh very quickly and with 
you know, a burning hatred. And that's precisely what happened. I mean, all over the country, um, I, I had hate mail. I, I had um, really unpleasant stuff happen. That's par for the course. That's what happens when you're a priest. You, you put your head above the battlement. You fight the good fight of faith. You run the race with perseverance. But it still hurt a lot, a lot of it coming from, you know, my own camp. It's like friendly fire. I thought these guys were Christians. <laughs> they, they have church on the tin. Why aren't they acting like church? Um, so that, that was very, very difficult. But then in the mix of that, it was worthwhile because then I discovered there are so many hurting Anglicans in the C of E, Orthodox people, Bible, more than I ever imagined, actually. There was a point of despondency for me where I thought, am I like one of a handful? And actually, you know, uh, there are 7,000 that God has reserved that haven't bowed down to the Baals. And they came out of the woodwork. And now those people are starting to say, well, if he did it, if he if he could make a stand, and then if he left, maybe I can too. Why do I have to stay here? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there's this dynamic because all these people that speak about inclusiveness, um, it's it's usually very selective, so it's not actually all inclusive. It will <laughs> exclude the faithful. Absolutely. And speaking of having a seat at the table, quote unquote. Right. There's a lot of things that are justified with that reason. You yeah. know, that's the reason given, the the argument. Yeah. It's like, well, is God at this table? Yeah. Is Christ it's here? Absolutely. You know, no, thinking literally in sacramental yeah. terms. <laughs> and and what what's according to the host, right? And yeah. he's the meal too. But according to him, there are <laughs> certain parameters for being here, and there are only certain sorts being here. And What's amazing is it's sinners, right? That's the gospel good news. But on the other hand, they are transformed and they are called to Amen. repentance. And yeah. um, that's very exclusive. That's very offensive. Mm. Um, that, was, that was part of my big heart of the offense of what happened. Mm. Uh, so people have argued, oh, but aren't you just being, you know, homophobic and unpleasant and don't you care about people and... Um, what a nasty man you are, as if I've never met a gay person and I don't have gay family members or whatever. You know, I've just lived in a bubble, in, you know, in Antarctica my whole life. Um, and what hurt me most was so few people, even Orthodox people or people I thought were Bible-believing, could not see that actually, I'm getting animated now, what, what they could not see uh, was that this is actually leading people to hell. What you're effectively doing is redefining what is or isn't a sin. So if you redefine that, you're saying to those people, you don't need to repent of that and that you can enter the kingdom of heaven with that unrepentant sin. And you can't. No. You just can't. You no. need the blood of Jesus to cover you and you must be repentant of that sin. And even if it's countercultural, even if we're hated for that message, even if we're persecuted and martyred for holding to that message, that's what the church is called to do, right. to hold to the truth of the word right. and to see huge swathes of the church and so many clergy. I, Brother Bart, I was so disappointed that so few clergymen stood up. I'm right. like, where are the men of this generation? Right. Make a stand. Right. Make a stand. Well, yeah. let's, well, this is what's so interesting because you do have a choice because there's a couple of things I want to think about. First of all, sin is bad for us. And it yeah. just seems like that's the one thing nobody wants to address. That's like the 800-pound gorilla that's yeah, like, they won't acknowledge it. It was <laughs> like, you know, sin's bad for you, right? Right? And then there's but not. It's that not. Sin, though. <laughs> or it's like a, a massive project of assuming this isn't sinful, even though it's very clear. Mm. Um, God is pretty clear. It's just we have a culture around us that make tries to make it unclear and works very hard yeah. to. And I would say that's what's kind of interesting about England, right? The Church of England being an established church in a culture as a whole, that has turned its back on the faith. Mm. Uh, you, and England's history is probably is is different than America's uh, mm -hmm. here. And Australia's too, right? Yeah. We have different story, different dynamics. But, you know, you think about post-World Wars. I think World War, the World Wars and leading up to them, there's a big cultural shift mm -hmm. where the culture's like, you know what, we're done with, with Christian faith. Yeah. Um, and then the church is like, what do we do? 
and that's and and a lot of the answers they gave have been bad as yeah. you've experienced the other thing that's i think really interesting here and i think really encouraging is that faith uh a, a courageous faith can be contagious absolutely um, and and this was to your point of the massive disappointment mm. of guys that should be sticking their head over the battlement to you know fire off an arrow or whatever right i mean to actually enter the fray won't do it no and yet even if you're one out of a handful that does and it's like oh you're going to get slaughtered mm. the faithful you know rally to the flag because it's not you yourself they're rallying to it's what you're pointing to which is exactly what a priest is supposed to do is like it's not exactly. about me it's about the one i serve i'm a herald here um here's his banner and yep. you, come look at the king yeah. yeah and then you're like basically on top of the hill getting shot at waving the flag back and forth frantically saying <laughs> you know <laughs> jesus is king jesus is king and you know that's actually uh the great glory and privilege of pastoral ministry in difficult confusing time mm -hmm. um we're in well, a time what we're in a time of incredible change and transformation some of it good some of it bad it's almost like when the printing press was invented this explosive change in the culture we're seeing the same thing with the internet and the digital yeah and various technologies just almost an atom bomb going off mm -hmm. and there's opportunity and risk and and the risk we're seeing this total dissolving and deconstruction and really rebellious sort of thing it's on a it's like not even hiding anymore Right. Oh no, it's all out in the open now, isn't it? Yeah. Right. It's like this is pure evil. <laughs> it's like, right. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, they're not even Oh, trying. this is from Satan. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, he's like they're not even trying to hide it anymore. No, they you don't know, even like, care. Oh, I right. saw photos of a Pride March where they were marching along with the thing that said, We heart Satan. I'm like, Oh, well, we knew that for years, but thanks for right. Well, thanks for the honesty. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. helpful. <laughs> well, and and it was amazing. You know, I've even seen folks that should know better folks that mm. you know should care about the catholic deposit of the faith like the universal deposit mm. of the christian faith as it comes to us and as anglicans we're so blessed to find that in mm -hmm. our formularies and our prayer book we get to pray it we put our our you know our cooks in it so to speak we yeah, render we it back it. To God. yeah we're able to live it but then there's these people that love the dearly beloved brethren and the whithersoever's and yet they seem to be utterly in the dark are are very lost on mm. the we like the language it's kind of a live action role play we're historical reenactors but when it comes to opposing the redefinition of marriage we're not actually going to stand by the cramner's oh, no. theology here of the prayer book marriage service about what Amen. marriage is and its causes and we're totally going to fold like a cheap lawn chair we're seeing this uh, uh, i just saw individuals and groups like the prayer yes. book society they said oh we're we're a single issue organization uh prayer book society of the uk right. i should say that the u.s right. is standing strong but they were like oh we're a single issue we're only about propagating the use of the the bcp in in english churches well if you really were a single issue group as you say you are you, you, in, as in devotion to the bcp you'd go and read cramner's incredible marriage service you would see the theology that underlies that and yeah. then you would be like, oh, boy, we better, we better to fight. oppose this thing. Time yeah. to fight. But instead, they just, like you said, they folded like a cheap deck chair. Down they went. Right. Yeah. Not all of them. I'm, and, But the drama there was just uh, deeply oh, dispiriting. Turning on each other as well. Yeah, turning yeah. on each other. And, oh. Yeah. And I saw another, you know, there was a, one of your, I don't know if he was an MP over there. And he's like, pride is sin. And mm -hmm. um, what he meant in the context is, of course, is this movement, which names itself off of a vice. There yeah. are good kinds of pride, right? In terms of I'm proud of my country, I'm proud of my family, I'm what whatever. Yeah. And this there's this person who's like, well, that he's not being precise enough. He's not including that. Just saying pride is sin is is too blunt. That's too, uh, that's too and it's like, are you but Where's the nuance? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what is the main point? And what was he speaking into? He was speaking into a movement that promotes 
uh, sexual licentiousness and immorality. So of course he's on point. Of course, and it's based on the vice of pride where I get to define reality and I get to do what I want to do because I'm God. Yeah, or, little gods. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little god, or 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 I form God. However, He's here to serve my whims and needs. Mm-hmm. And just seeing a person like that who should who appreciates the prayer book has a good understanding of certain aspects of it, and then all of a sudden, we're finding all the little moats and all the little nuances that are like, it's like that commercial where there's a lady has a nail in the middle of her forehead, and the husband's like the nail and she's like no it's not about the nail right it's just <laughs> yeah it's it's the nail uh just ignore the, that thing it's like i got yeah. a splitting headache and it hurts and then she's about all these things in her life is like it there's a nail in your head um that is a metaphor for the church of england yeah yeah there's, there's a, a nail in your head like there's, there's a nail there's, in your head just pull the nail out like no right and why not why yeah. the anger about that and what are this is let's put it in these terms. What are the idols? Mm-hmm. Because if if you and I are both on the exact same wavelength, there's an idolatry problem. There's mm-hmm. a uh, have no other gods before me problem. Absolutely. Uh, there's a fir- there's a first commandment problem. <laughs> and yeah, the reason time. the reason we love it is the covetousness. There's the last commandment. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be God. What are some of those little idols that we have built up? Right. And and I say we because we're included in this, too. We have these problems. It's part of the era and the age. But what are some of the things that you've identified in your painful experience? <laughs> uh, yeah. So some of the biggies uh, in the UK context, and there'll be overlaps to the US for this. Some of the biggies are like acceptability, wanting to be accepted by the people around us, not wanting to rock the boat. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about winsomeness, even from like committed evangelicals and isn't that like uh, 10 years old yeah you know, that discourse was like 10 or 20 years behind. anyway they just they, they drag it out of a cupboard and it, you know there's this idea that oh if we if we say anything that's critical you even find this among um really orthodox some gafcon people are like oh if we say anything critical even of the bad guys who have you know shown all their cards as being totally apostates well you know that's not a good look well I dare to counter that and say, actually, go read the Minor Prophets. There is a time and a place, and there are certain ages and epochs of history where the people of God are called upon to make a stand and to point to things and say, that's bad, and don't do that, and there's a better way. Uh, And they're called to look, you know, if you look at the prophets, a lot of their criticisms are of the people of God. So these people who claim to be of God but have fallen astray, gone astray, fallen aside, and they say, hey, don't be like those guys. Come away from those guys. Um, be ye holy as I am holy. And and to have this search for purity. I love what you said before. Yeah, every every church, every denomination, every group of Christians is going to have faults and flaws. But what we shouldn't be failing on is, you know, just Christianity 101, believing the Catholic faith, of, 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 of submitting ourselves to the Bible, of receiving that orthodox inheritance of the apostolic fathers. and living that out and being brave enough to say to a culture that's gone nuts saying hey actually we we don't believe what you believe and we're not going to go along with that so those are the sort of idols like this idea of wanting to just go along with everyone in the in the for the church of england specifically that that is like multiplied hugely because i mean you 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 just grazed close to that with the established church line that is the big issue they have been established for a long, long time as the state church. You know, we have bishops in the House of Lords. That is a privilege. That is a, a divine act of providence through history that God has allowed a Christian voice at the upper echelons of Great Britain, and they've wasted it because they just want to get along. They just want to be buddies. And you only have to ever look you know, if you want a recipe for falling asleep or feeling really angry, look up live streams of the, the Lords, right? You can you can see them and find some controversial topic, abortion, gay marriage, whatever it is, and you watch the C of E bishops just be absent. They don't even turn up. They right. don't just even don't turn show up. up to the don't show up to it. The one thing <laughs> yeah. you could probably speak very loudly on. Yeah, just right. don't show up. Yeah. But then it was an environmental thing, you know, we, we want to take care of God's good world and be stewards of it. But then that's what you have to be loud on. 
or an immigration law. It's like, you Mm -hmm. know that you, uh, somebody with a doctor of divinity, if that, you know, is like, Mm -hmm. that's what I have a lot of expertise on. Really? Those are the same churches. You're allowed to talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you know, immigration policy has a lot of nuance. And I, I like those with a vocation of political in the political realm to explore those nuances and enact mm. wise policy. Um, you, if you went to seminary, you probably don't have the equipment necessary or the training or experience necessary to speak into that clearly. You know what you could be speaking clearly on is an issue of spiritual, amen, sort of thing. Yes. There are spiritual aspects to to these other things I mentioned, but what's really clear with God is like you know, don't do this, do this, and there are some very clear things that. British society wants to push or has pushed and has established that are against the word of God and are bad for that society. And yeah. a pastor should point there. Here's what's interesting. If if you do that, you might get kicked out. And that's what they're afraid of. Right? Yeah, that's get... what they're terrified of. Disestablishment. Right. Yeah, they're terrified of it. And and, and that... MPs are quick to use that in Britain. Right. They will use that. They use that as a as a when they were when the whole debate, for example, over same-sex blessings going ahead. Some MPs wanted the CV to push further into actually marrying gay couples. Well, that requires a whole complex suite of changing laws that would take a long, long time, and that would never get through the Synod at this point. But the point is you have these secular members of parliament pressuring the church, and they know they have a gun to their head. They're like, if you don't do this, that's it. You won't be the state church anymore. And, and isn't that's that, the Achilles heel. That's like, but that's so craven because, you know, it's humiliating to think about like that's their chokehold on you because it shouldn't be because you're supposed to be the church for the English. When it gets turned around is like you, to do that, you must be a good Englishman or British person, which mm. means this has this definition has changed because now it's somebody who's okay with uh, immorality, and so mm. you need to to service them as the department of religion. For the state, mm, you right. have to the chaplain to the state. Yep. Right. You have to do this. Otherwise, we're going to take your money. It's like, well, you can take the money. You know, you've just damned yourself. Mm. And that's kind of the more medieval, almost or reformational approach is like, uh, no, um, found <laughs> sand and then stick me in the tower. Right. Mm. Where we've gone from uh, Cramner burn, being burnt at the stake, imperfect though he was, right? He burnt that hand that signed mm-hmm. off, you know, he wavered, but he's he like all of us. Yeah. But he recanted. Yeah. Strong finish. Or I was even thinking the seven arch, uh, the bishops uh, that deposed James II, right? They're willing mm-hmm. to go to the Tower of London, and there's this instance. Um, we've had bishops willing to do this, and we still do in parts of the world. Yeah, they were lying. The, the British bishops used to be lions of Christian orthodoxy. Right. They used to be brave. And you know, when when I was thinking about this the other day, when persecution comes, when when a culture that the church finds itself in turns on Christianity, and, and you know, you're a scholarly man, it happens from time to time throughout history, right? Uh, who do they come for first? Who, whose door do they go knocking on first? The bishops. They're meant to be the best of us. They're meant to be the polycarps and the Irenaeus. They're meant to be the lions of Christian faith. And so when the when the heathens come knocking at the door of the church, the bishop's meant to go out to meet them and say, kill me and not my parishioners. Kill right. me and not my presbyters. Take me to the fire. Take me to the lion's den. And our bishops have just rolled over and capitulated. They're like, don't hurt us. Right. No, no, no. But those bigots, you can have them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's... um. If you haven't seen it, and this is what you're thinking about, um, as kind of the troubling need for witness, um, Terrence Malick's uh, Hidden Life, very interesting cool. because it's about a farmer in Austria during World War II who's better than his bishop and better than his priest. And we need those voices to call us to faith. It's like, I don't want to be like that bishop that just left him alone. Um and it contrasts with silence because uh, the movie Silence, if you've seen it or read the book, it's about the, how the Japanese would attack the parishioners yes. to pressure priests yeah. to recant. And and it's like even then, even then, even if they suffer, right? I'm, I feel it's easy to feel guilt when your faithful preaching instigates one of your parishioners 
to take a stand in the HR department. Absolutely. And they lose their job. They lose their job. The, the yep. promotion. It's Father Bart's fault. <laughs> and it's, you feel like it's your fault. Yeah, but it's, it's not. It's not your fault. No. Um, you're, you should feel the privilege of ministering to faithful people, that mm-hmm. you have been the presence of someone mm-hmm. with the eternal glory and dignity and the crown. Mm-hmm. It should humble you. Yeah. It should. It should. Instead of saying, oh, I feel guilty, I got them in trouble. No, you didn't. You didn't do Maybe. sin. No. And then another aspect, too, of the great privilege of serving in this time, Ezra. Think of Ezra. When Ezra did not censor the word of God, mm. when he gave the whole unvarnished thing in his war tower, essentially that platform is kind of mm. the same language. It's like a siege tower. tower. Yeah. yeah. Um, tower defense, you know, as he thunders that. The actual people of God, the actual faithful residue, were cut to the quick. They didn't resent Ezra for doing what he did. They instead uh, were were struck down the way we should be by our sin, right? By mm-hmm. by by the law hitting mm-hmm. us, hitting our sin, and then crying out to God for forgiveness. Actually, they, before that, they actually have a celebration because of the calendar and so forth. And there's an interesting mm-hmm. respite there, but also a very strong awareness. Of of our sin, right? We're we're a part of this culture, and mm. we have our problems that come from from that back and forth. Yeah, we've but, partaken of the poison cup. But but what's fascinating is when you give that unvarnished truth, it might cost you, but it's what enlivens the people of God. Damn, it's so true, yeah. right? Like it's like, gosh, I wish there was more people that were there were more people that were being enlivened by this, but. Giving the whole full dose, no compromise, enlivens, right? That's the only way to to live. Um, and it's and that kind of was what kind of I think transitions us to you didn't stay in the Church of England. <laughs> Great segue, brother. <laughs> uh. Um because we we actually need bishops that are faithful. Yes. Um, we need a situation where it's not trying to play a pantomime game where I'm, you know, is my mm-hmm. bishop a pa- an actual Christian, even though mm-hmm. he's a pastor over me? Right. That's the odd catch. Yeah. Do. Yeah. I, I ran this ran into this. So on the mainline past that I have is like, well, the bishop's not a Christian, but technically the bishop is is my pastor. It's like, well, which is it? Mm. How do you how do you deal with that tension? And that's a big issue. That's it's a hot a, button issue. But then you yeah. come into the Free Church, and you have Bishop. Is it John Finnick? Is that your? That is Bishop John Cause, Finnick. Cause yeah. Pa- uh, uh, Bishop um, Paul, Paul Hunt. Hunt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but either way, I know them. They're Christian. Both fantastic men of God. Yeah. Really. What's it like? What like? Christians. How how's the water so far? I know it's not been a very long time, but what? What are some of the changes? What are some of the different dynamics? What what are some uh, possible losses as well as gains? I, I'm interested to hear what's yeah. that been like because I, I've never gone through that kind of a transition, right? I, I joined right in the REC. I, I came out of, I went to the seminary, came out of it, even though I wasn't raised that way. Yep. What's it like to make the transition? What what goes on there? Excellent question. Uh, just briefly, I think just popped into my mind going back to what you said before about Orthodox being pushed out. It's those, even in the CV, if you, well, a lot of the time in the CV, your bishop isn't actually a bishop because it's a woman. And in my mind, that's not an actual bishop. So there's a problem of ecclesiology right straight up. But let's say you have a male bishop and he may be Orthodox or at least tolerant of the Orthodox. The problem is he'll just shut his mouth when the persecution comes. And if you are vocal, as I became vocal, what, what very often happens is they will just throw you to the wolves because it suits the purpose. The purpose is making you go away. And so, the you you know, I think of Christians like a Roman phalanx. We're meant to lock, lock ranks. And the generals should be at the front and the bishops are just absentee. So the big contrast in the uh, Free Church of England, otherwise known as the Reformed Episcopal Church UK, is that our bishops are in there with us. Our, our bishops are right beside us. They are church planters. They are pastors with congregations. They visit their congregations week in and week out. They pray for us uh, as brothers in Christ. It's deeply relational. It's deeply connected. They actually have a genuine concern. So when when you go and talk to 
Bishop Fennick or Bishop Hunt, you know you're talking to a brother. That's the difference. Of course, the respect level is there. You know, like I was raised as a Roman Catholic and I still have that little bit in me. You've got to fear your bishop a little bit. He's your boss uh, with, in love. But that there is that level of relation with each other. Like, you know, so for instance, we, we were driving, I was driving with Bishop Fennick to visit a, a congregation of ours. He was showing, showing me around the diocese a bit, which was wonderful. And um, he drove. Uh, he's an excellent driver. Uh, felt safe. Lucky I didn't drive because, you know, we might have been with the Lord by now. And he was um, so gracious to talk to on this two-hour trip. And I just felt such a connection with this man of God. He, I mean, he's a guy who's suffered for the gospel too. He's a guy who's cut his teeth in, in suffering for the truth of God's word. Um, and so has Bishop Paul for a long, long, long time. So you know when, you, when you're with him, there is that deep fellowship. You know, the Spirit in, in the Holy Spirit in, our, in, in, in me was just resounding with the Holy Spirit in him. There was, no, there was no doubt in my mind. You know, I've spoken to so many Church of England bishops, and you just think, I'm, I'm not even sure we're on the same level. I'm not even sure you're saved. I mean, I'm not going to judge anyone's salvation. That's up to God. But I'm like, you know, you shall know them by their fruit. Where's the right. fruit? Right. <laughs> the fruit here is tastes bad. Well, this is interesting because I just did some uh, a, a little bit of work on Usher, James Usher, his archbishop, mm. uh, his his work on on episcopacy, and he just assumes a lot of pastoral work should be done with the bishop with the presbyter, like mm. consulting one another, um, um, mm. seeking out counsel and so forth. And if you have a bishop that are they a Christian is the question you ask. Are you ever going to ask them for like real? theological pastoral advice if you're if you're one of your parishioners you is struggling with sin or has a marriage falling apart or just a really sticky situation that you want somebody else's opinion on i know exactly who i call i call bishop mm -hmm. manto you know because mm -hmm. because um he's he is a christian he's faithful he's wise he's experienced mm -hmm. a lot of conundrums he has a good sense of a lot of other things. He has a lot of gifts to offer, and that is his job. Yeah. Like that's how I think of a bishop. Like I don't even that's think a calling. Of, yeah. Like I think that's. I was like, well, he's the guy. You know, I call when I I I don't know what to do, and it's a devotional spiritual issue. I have a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. He's who I trust to go to. That's how it should work. That that's the dynamic. Yeah, and in the C of E, you 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 just a lot of time never even contact your bishop. Right, that's just is so strange. There's a to barrier me. around like, him. You know, <laughs> you approach the archdeacon, who's the middle manager, who right. also probably isn't a Christian, and they can be. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of clergy who are, who are um, in the C of E or come out of the C of E who've gone through what we call church hurt, and mm. the, there's a lot of them who it comes from that middle management level. These people get too big for their britches. They think they're really important. Then they get defensive of their position if they're not doing it right, mm -hmm. and they will burn, you know, on the ground parish clergy, and they will keep things from bishops, and it's a nasty dynamic. So right. you, you don't feel like the bishop is your pastor. You don't feel like the bishop is your brother in Christ. You don't feel like you have a connection to this man because you virtually never see him. You never talk to him. Right. And if you want to try and get to him, you've got to jump through the hoops of a PA or an archdeacon, mm -hmm. uh, which I think, again, that relational nature of actually connecting with a, a bishop as a brother in Christ has been incredibly refreshing. What's it's what's a really PA? Beautiful. Sorry for those. Oh, personal assistant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The Church of England loves to hire lots of people. They don't have enough money for priests, but they hire loads of people to do loads of stupid jobs, like be people's PA, <laughs> or be, a, be a diversity and inclusion officer. Or do they have those? Oh, that's oh yeah, they have racial now. justice officers. They have environmentalism officers. You, mm -hmm. you look at any Church of England website, go check out the staff at the diocese. You'll roll your eyes. Like, oh, my gosh. The okay. money they spend on them. Well, and I, you mentioned the archdeacon. We have a great archdeacon here. He was my predecessor at my parish. So actually, I do call him up a lot for... Yep. parish things because he knows all the people and he yeah. <laughs> and he's more experienced and he's wiser he's older but he's such a help to the diocese like yeah he's competent to help and he's handed he's not in the bishop. way <laughs> he's not in the way he's on the team you know he's yep. he's we all he got need no that. delusions of grandeur that's where a lot of archdeacons <sighs> no go and, and ours doesn't i mean he's kind of like you know 
why do you all keep make, putting me to work? But not in a lazy way, but in the <laughs> sense of he's he's served, you know, he's yeah. he's he's great. Um, and and he really wants to equip the the folk, the men of the diocese, to take on roles and to be leaders and to be courageous. He wants faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And Right, right. You've praised God for these folks that also stick their heads out of the battlement in their own way. Mm. And it's just, that's just the moment we're in. Like, do you, how do you want to spend your years of ministry? Mm. I'm thinking this particularly from a pastoral perspective. If you're a deacon, you're a presbyter, you're thinking about that. How do you want to spend the time and energy and talents God has given you? Um, yeah. What's true, you know. What is, yep. you know, I'm not a Congregationalist. I'm not a Presbyterian. Uh, I, I yep. think, you know, there's a certain church government structure here that history and the Bibles point toward. Um, yeah, threefold order all the way. Right. But how do you, when you show up to Alexandria, and there's a fellow on the throne who's got all the uh, proper hands laid on him, but he's an Arian. And then uh, there's a fellow by the name of Athanasius <laughs> running around in the desert. Troublesome um, man. A troublesome man. Low low class. Mm. Um, there's this troublesome man, Athanasius, and people are claiming he's also a bishop. How do you, which which uh, which one do you follow? Mm. Uh, who this, who do but... you seek to lay hands on? You who do you? Yeah. And that's the moment we're in, I think, globally. That is the moment we're in globally right now, yeah, in in, in, in an Anglican sense. But, you know, you see it even with our Catholic friends. You know, yeah. they're, they're, their church is imploding. They, they yeah. don't like to admit it because they like to keep telling me I'm an unsaved heathen. But uh, yeah. they, 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 they're in the same boat, you know. Um, well, it's a lot of these converts that do it for very traditionalist reasons yeah. show up and find out that the hierarchy in the Roman church is just as liberal as the C of E or the Episcopal church. Exactly what happens, precisely. Yeah, they're just quiet about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the the answer is look at the fruit. Always look at the mm-hmm. fruit, and look at the life, and get to know that person, and look at their life, and see, you know, do they live a life of holiness? Do they live a life where they take seriously uh, their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy, living out, living out the faith, and. That's the person you should submit yourself under the authority of. Um, not to play a personality game, but I mean, if right. the, the if the bishop is not godly and not living a holy life and is not believing the tenets of the faith, then it doesn't really matter what you have on the books. No, right. This Besides, is the, this is the crisis we on. have. Our... Mm. Yeah, well, this is the crisis we have. It's like if we have the perfect confession, the perfect creed, the perfect prayer book, it should be fine. No, because you need faithful leaders to enact and live according to it. That's right. You have to have a heart that has been strangely moved. Yeah. Well, and then also, when it does, you don't want a cult of personality. We are governed by law, like in the search mm. of God's law, canon mm-hmm. law. Uh, yep. I'm a Richard Hooker guy all the way, right? When you get a certain size, yep. you, you don't need just cults of personality. But on the other hand, you can't neglect it. You can't no. neglect holiness, right? You can't, ne- you can't. Stop praying for God to maintain and raise up holy people. And God works through powerful human leaders. You, you right. know, that's that's part of the dynamic of of you know anthropology. That's how human beings are created. We are attracted to mm. bold leaders of strong personality. You just look in the Bible. You look at people. Oh, you, you mentioned Ezra. It's a great example. You look at 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 Moses. You know these men of God, for all their flaws and foibles, remain true to God loyal to his word people are attracted to that and and you, know? you can and it helps you the law i'm sorry i'm kind really? of like i'm yeah i'm Go still <laughs> we're still anglophone right or actually it's it's a christian thing to understand it's not about the individual personality we're under god and god reveals himself through law in various ways and so yeah. the way you're able to actually discern mm-hmm. the character of that person you actually have a standard that doesn't vacillate Helps yeah, you, you have understand. an objective standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, take 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 Bishop Fennec for example. I I have a great love and affection for the man, and 
he and, he and I have been in conversation for a while. Obviously, these you know leaving the CV doesn't happen overnight, and it has been a long discernment process. And the, the loving welcome we've received has been amazing. And you look at the man, and you know, yeah, he's a nice guy. I like him and get along with him. He's sort of an affable, friendly hi- historian. He knows a lot of stuff. He's fun to be around. But but aside from his personality, which I like, he's a godly Christian, right? And it just sort of shines out of him. It's it's like out of the pores of the man. He believes in the Bible. He believes in the creeds. It's not just that we say, like you said, we don't just do check boxes. It's genuine belief. Does 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 John make mistakes? Yeah, who doesn't? Right. Uh, does he admit him? Does he repent? Yes, he does. Uh, and. Does that is that the way he leads by example with his clergy? Yeah, he does. Uh, so there is a sense of this godliness, this graciousness, and people are looking for that. People right. are, are looking around, particularly the faithful in the pews. God's people are looking for that, right? Like God's people, not, yeah. The world, the worldly aren't looking for that. Oh no, yeah, amen. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> but, the heathens are not interested in it. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the heathens love Justin Welby. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and this is the moment and it's just for, if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking about what am I going to do with my life? You know, if you're a young man thinking about ministry, think in these terms, yeah, you know, because they yeah, are well, out there. I mean, it's here a in the, lot States, issue. the Episcopal church, they have a lot of nice, pretty buildings and they've got money, uh, still uh, depending yeah. on where you end up. And that's tempting. Same with the CV. Yeah. It's very tempting, but listen, man, is that, is that, is that what you want? Mm-hmm. Do you serve Christ or Mammon? That's the thing. You know, mm-hmm. you, when you're talking about not wasting your life, it reminded me of um, John Piper's famous seashells sermon. Right. You know, you know I, it, it is a live issue because I have a young man who approached me who was in discernment for I won't I won't out him and say his name yet, but he was right. in discernment for the the ministry in C of E, and he said to me, you know, I've got what 40, 50 years of ordained ministry ahead of me if I'm successful. Can I spend it in that organization? Yeah. And I said, well, that's the burning question. I said, I've probably got another 30 years in me. Can I continue? And the answer for me was, no, I can't. Right. Absolutely right. not. To what port? To what yeah. purpose? Yeah. Well, Father Brett, I, I know we've talked a while, but it's been great to to hear from you and to to just think about things and discuss things. Listen, we're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for our the fellow saints there in England as they have to make these hard decisions. And it's a, it's not going to be an easy row to hoe, but at least it's the right row. Um, Amen. So uh, God's blessings to you. And for those of you listening, we hope you've enjoyed the show. I will hope to catch you next time.